Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and we are already on episode seven of season 10. I am very excited about this episode because Sean Crampton was our second ever guest on the podcast in season one. So if you want to go back and listen, season one, episode two was Sean Crampton's first podcast episode. This was way back when the podcast was still the number one instead of the word one. That's how long ago that was. The OGs know exactly what I'm talking about. Today, Sean is back, and five years later, he has continued his work as a filmmaker and in all areas of the business, working as an actor, a writer, a director, and a producer. He's going to drop a lot of his knowledge about working in all of those areas while also creating a good set. He is so passionate about this work that he actually created the Rebel Filmmaking Community, which is an online platform to teach artists A to Z how to make a movie of their own. It is pretty impressive. Oh, and he's dropping a big discount for you guys if it is something you were interested in learning about. It's like 75% off. So keep a listen for the show code that he is going to give everyone. It's also in the show notes if you want a sneak peek. I do want to give a trigger warning for those listening that Sean talks really openly about his father's suicide and how that has affected him as an artist and as a person in general. He really gets candid about his personal life in this episode and listening back to it of how he has evolved as a person and the things he has gone through. There is so much in this season with actors being so candid about how life has changed them and also changed them in their work. And it's just such a reminder of what a small percentage of our life this job is and how much more important it is to enjoy your life and the things you're doing and those around you. So just a heads up for that coming later in the podcast. Thank you, Sean, for being so candid and so real in this episode. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy Sean Crampton. So, Sean, actually, this is fun. So we were supposed to record last week, and we rescheduled for this week, which is even better because almost to the exact day, five years ago, your first podcast episode came out. No way. Yeah, it was September 25th, 2017. I just looked it up yesterday. Isn't that cool? Yeah, kudos to you for five years of making it happen. I can't believe I've been doing anything for five years. (laughs) I know. It's pretty impressive what you've done, my friend. Thank you. Well, right back at you. And that's why I'm super excited to talk again, because the amount of stuff that you have accomplished in the time since we last chatted is pretty exceptional. Thank you. I have quite a few questions about it, as I'm sure many, many people do. So let's get right into it. My first question for you is, are you still doing your morning routine? (laughs) you know no it's a great question because almost all of my answers revolve back to self-work and the importance of me first versus the career first or whatever we want to frame it as so basically in april my dad passed suddenly and that threw my world upside down in a sense and i'm so lucky to be in therapy and on a men's team and all these things but since then my routine in and of itself between that and work has been all over the place. So my morning routine and an honest answer is not there, but 
I feel that that's normal and it's evolved because now I kind of carry my morning routine with me always. And I'm kind of like always in that zone or at least close to, or I can return. I call it my anchor. Like even if I go one way or the other behaviorally, like stressing out or victimization that it's not just happening for me yet. There's a small voice in my head that's like, yeah, that's okay. You love it though. And we're all good. We're safe. So it's evolved since the last time we spoke about my morning routine. At the beginning of this year, I was doing like a really in-depth morning routine, like two hours before anything else. And I still got a lot done career-wise, clearly, but it was just really like life or death is how I looked at it for me. Yeah. So that's kind of the long answer on that. Yeah. How has your process evolved since then? Because when we talked like 2017 feels like yesterday and also a lifetime ago. So, you know, at the time you were, it was like heavy improv, a lot of things that shut down in the pandemic, at least for a time, right? It was heavy and improv. Your first feature was out and you were working on your second, which I believe is the stocking fields. I think it's, that's what we were talking about in your last podcast. And now that is almost done. It's shot. You did it. It's like, you sent me the trailer, which was super cool. Has the way beyond losing your dad, which I'm so I'm so sorry, Thank especially you. unexpectedly. I can't I can't even imagine. Dude. And like, you know, I don't know how heavy you guys get on your show, but as heavy as you want to get. Dude, he killed himself from PTSD. And I can talk about this freely because one, I've done so much work and I have such a great community around me. And I my communication skill set is excellent. Like I reached out to all my people, told them what happened and told them what kind of support I think I'd need. And so the reason I bring that up is because I've realized and I've noticed all of my work is about PTSD. I was going to ask you that. It feels like a common theme. Yeah. Like obviously the stocking fields, but even helmet, which you saw, like really that's that show is about everybody having PTSD, not just the military, which has galvanized the term. And so... Yeah, that that has been interesting to notice as far as like the serendipitous nature, but that's kind of a positive thing. I don't know. Uh, It was really interesting. Yeah. Do you, you might not be able to answer this, but do you think that you took PTSD from seeing your dad with it and put it into your work instead of putting it into your insides? Well, it depends like... You know, I 100% think so. Like, I used to have, like, very visceral, like, beyond acceptable rage in traffic. And one time I was talking to my dad. He's like, dude, like, like, let it go. You know, whatever he was saying. And I'm like, how's this motherfucker saying this? I saw him. And then I told him that. I finally had the skill set to be like, hey, man, I think I got this from you. And he's like, oh, yeah, in Afghanistan, if you were ever in traffic, that means you're about to be ambushed. So when I got home to San Diego with no decompression system in place, of course, he's like, I almost killed a guy at a gas station because I was a week out of deployment. And so, of course, as a 14-year-old, I was just absorbing that behavior and that energy. Like, I've worked with healers who are like, dude, you carry as much PTSD as the like most PTSD-ridden military members I've ever met. And I was like, huh, okay. Like that doesn't make sense to my earth brain, but on a, on a bigger sphere, it makes total sense. 
because we're passing generational trauma. Generational trauma, yeah. So it feels really important. Like I got this tattoo this year that says men don't cry, but the don'ts crossed out. And I wear it on my forearm just because I think I look a certain way that presents maybe aggressive or stereotypical jock military. And so I feel like it's important for someone like me to be like, hey, it's okay to cry. It's okay to have feelings. It's okay to talk and be messy in the talk. And so that's kind of really where I'm operating from internally and externally. Like I'm creating a new paradigm on my sets. Like I have three to four day work weeks. I never work over 12 hours. I want my cast and crew to have a life. Like, tell me you can't go on a date the same day you work. Get the fuck out of here. We're making a movie. Grow up. You know, the pressure comes from the people who want to make money above us. And so I'm just, I'm answering it more broadly because it's all intertwined for me. Yeah. How has this changed? Did this change in you just recently because of that? Or do you feel like this has always been something that's a part of you, like wanting to, because you also have a hustle mentality. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You've had, you always have. It's been like, get up, get to work. Let's go. Let's go. Like, cause we talked about in your first podcast five years ago about getting out of the LA trap of, oh, it's really easy to get to LA and not act. And I think about that all the time because it's, it really is. And, you know, so how did you get to a place where you're like, and also life, right? How Was there like a balance you found or has it just been something you've witnessed or learned along the way? Great question. For me, the best analogy I can kind of give for this type of work is from the movie Shawshank Redemption, if you're familiar. Super familiar. But basically like with self-work or anything like this, like the first scene where Andy Dufresne's on the chain gang, those two prisoners escape. And of course I'm paraphrasing, but what happens? They try to do too much too quick. They got shot dead. They're done. So what's Andy do? He lets out a little bit of dirt over eight years to become free of himself. And so that's how I feel like this has been for me. Like every day I'm doing a little dirt and it's just added up over the two year span, especially in the pandemic, I already had a therapist, but I just joined. And she's the real deal. And she's saved my life in the sense that it's not all on her. Like I look at her like the doctor and I'm going in for a physical. If I don't do what she says and I come back with the same problem, that's on me. And I'm on a men's team who holds me accountable because it's all these successful men who got success and are like, wait a minute, that's not it. And so I just started seeing the signs and being like, damn, I'm actually robbing myself of the happiness this industry was supposed to create for me by doing all this extra shit around it that I actually have zero control over, zero care. And logically, it actually makes no sense because it's the same thing kind of like that the Hulu and Netflix algorithms fight. It's like they might have the data, but by the time that data point is set in stone, they then have to make the fucking movie. So the data point actually is a year old. So we're all chasing this thing that doesn't really exist. So I'm just really kind of peeling and it's really hard. It has been a challenge, uncomfortable. I fuck it up all the time. But for me, it's letting go of control because control was how I was loved growing up. Do this, go to sports, eat at this time. Like don't, you know, all that. So it's like, oh, how can I let go of what's supposed to happen or what should be happening and just do what I love and, Maybe I don't know exactly what that is still, and I'm still finding out. 
I, it, that is something, well, I want, I want to ask about this. I want to ask what your men's team is, but I also would love to talk to you about this idea of like relinquishing control of what we think this is supposed to look like. Cause that's been something I've been focusing on a lot lately. So first let me define what is a men's team? What does that mean? Yeah, it's not exactly common knowledge or commonplace. I think it's just starting to erupt. It's a meeting I meet once a week. It's completely volunteer. It has a lot of ritual. It's just men who are in a safe place to be a man sharing their feelings with direct, honest, loving feedback. Every week's different in the sense because one man might be going through a divorce or maybe people are just celebrating successes. So we talk about successes. We talk about being out of integrity. We talk about it all like, and we keep it safe. And it's a community. Like these guys show up big when my dad passed. They had already met him. My dad came and spoke for them. So they were all there. They showed up at my house, you know, just like, it's like brothers. And I think our men's team's a little different in the more organizational ones, meaning like the bigger ones. They can be a little more like AA where it's a little more impersonal. Maybe they're trying to build a brand where they have like 40 men's teams. This is just like a boutique men's team, so to speak. Where'd you find that? I found it. I started doing medicine journeys, if you're familiar with that. So ayahuasca, psilocybin. I had kind of put that off for years because I had all this propaganda about drug use growing up where I was from. And again, like those type of journeys aren't really good if you don't do therapy or other supplemental stuff around them. So people will be like, yeah, I did ayahuasca. It changed my life. We'll talk to them three months later. They're the same because they're not doing the same. <laughs> that's just what it is. And that's no disrespect like that. Everybody's going through their own shit. And we all want the band-aid that takes it quick. So I met them through, I was at my first journey because I had said no like 10 times. It just didn't feel right. I was terrified. I'm like, who am I going to be under this influence? What am I going to say? Who am I going to offend? What am I going to have to clean up the next day? And finally, I felt secure enough through therapy to show up and be centered enough. And through that experience, I found like, well, I do have a voice in this community. I do have a strong sense of self stronger than I thought, because the host of that invited me to this men's team. And in the third meeting, I kind of just was super honest with all of them. I was like, what are we doing? This seems a little fucking weird. And, and they like love that about me. And then it's been kismet ever since, really. That's awesome. That's community, right? Absolutely. Very lucky and very grateful for them. Yeah. I mean, well, it also feeds into the question of like, this is not what we thought it would look like. Things don't look like we anticipated in this career and this job and this life and being okay with finding that middle ground between pushing yourself and accomplishing good work and also accepting and letting go of control. What is that for you? Because for me, it's fucking hard. Yeah. Letting go of control. Well, with any work I have done, the first step is like awareness or noticing. And that's just it. And what I found even in the control, and this is what the medicine does, for me at least, is it strips away all the bullshit. So you're like, damn, look how distracted I am. Especially with ayahuasca, it takes you to such a neutral place. You're like, oh my God, even the thought about let me get this cup of coffee is a distraction from self and letting go of control. And then we're just living life with like 30 distractions at once, our phone, our boyfriend, whatever. And they're not bad. We're just so used to the chaos that we can't really get underneath it. 
for me, the practice was actually getting the skill set to just notice and not try and fix and not try and like go to therapy with it. Like literally just notice and call it out. Like, oh shit, I'm overthinking right now. Okay, let's let it run. Cool. Oh, I'm trying to control this. Let's just see what happens if I, and I sometimes will literally physicalize it, like let go. And it doesn't always work. I mean, man, like a tough conversation with my girlfriend last night. And I was like this morning in reflection, I'm like, whoa, trying to control still. And that's okay. The help with that, the simultaneous work is like, learning to forgive myself. And that makes the letting go so much easier. Has that been helpful in your career in terms of like acting work and making your own projects and stuff? Totally. Like this year I've worked, I've been hired to be lead producer or creator on two projects where the EPs were fucking amazing and everybody was amazing. And it was like, oh, the energy has shifted this year because I learned so much on stocking fields. It was very in the masculine, very in the aggressive, very like got to get, got to get. And after that experience where Jordan and I really got to reflect for a few years, like, damn, how do we show up? Do we even want to do it that way? Well, which way do we want to do it? And so it really has been like, okay, I asked this universe or God or whomever for this thing, the exchange is if I ask for it, I get to let go of how I get it. And I just like really, like really am starting to buy in and believe that like, there's nothing on earth that happens exactly how you predict it. Even the coffee in the morning, like maybe you're out of a filter, maybe the filter gets caught on the lip and you have to fix it. So it still didn't happen exactly as you wanted it, but you got there. That's been kind of my thought and feeling process around it. It's like just just the first step is noticing. You can't really notice or move into action until you're really like comfortable and like, oh, there it is without judgment. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm a human. We all have our shit. This is just mine. I think that noting and then not judging as being the next step is like, well, because as actors, right, we want to like be hyper aware and we want to like people watch and then implement things into ourselves and all of that stuff. And then when you spend all of your time putting things on you, then you strip yourself away and you're just left with you. You're like, if I constantly am existing as a reflection of other people, what am I when I'm not doing that at my core, right? Like that is a whole, a whole nother bag of worms. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other ways this has showed up for me is I don't feel desperate at all. Like, truly, if CBS called me right now, like, and this is the honest to God truth, and they're like, we want you to write on Navy SEALs, you're like, amazing for it, blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, huh, that's nine months, probably five to six days in a writing room for what, 400 grand? My life is a lot more than that. I've found a lot of self-love too. Like, a year ago, I'd have been like, yeah, <laughs> that energy. And I'm just like, I I'm not saying I would say no, it's more that, I would think about it first. I would feel into it. It wouldn't be such an immediate yes. And so that's what, when I talk to actors, because I've been going to some film festivals, I'm like, really think about what you're asking. Because my buddy is on one of the biggest shows on earth and he's gone 10 months and his number one's an asshole and it's fucking miserable 60 hours a week. And so just be careful because you actually don't know what you want. You might, you know what I mean? So that's why I'm like really focusing on what do I love? 
finding out what I don't like, because maybe you don't know what you do like, but it's easy to kind of run into a no, like, oh, didn't like that, didn't like that. Yeah, that's where else it's showing up too, is I, I feel like this freedom. Are things in the aspirational place I want them to be? Kind of, <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm on the way to creating my own, like when I'm in these meetings with big producers pitching, I tell them exactly how I want a set to be. And you know what? I thought I was going to get a lot of resistance, but all of them, 100% have said, damn, I want to do that too. And the DP I had on my last two projects who worked on Avatar 2 through 4, he was in tears at the end of the rap. He's like, I didn't think this was possible to have this kind of set, this kind of culture where people are safe, we're having fun because it's a fucking movie, right? Like, which I think are really important. But you got to have like a 10% of like, it's a movie. It's okay. And uh, it's also showing up when shit goes haywire on set. I go, let's see what happens instead of react and then have to apologize back because it wasn't that big of a deal. And I just am like, well, maybe it worked out for the best, this big hiccup. And it always did actually with that kind of framework. Yeah. When your mentality isn't pushing one option, right? Can we talk about a little bit of the specifics of making this into your job? Because I think there's a lot of actors who are probably listening who are like, I want to make my own work and act in it. And I want to produce other movies and I want to do all this. But the getting started of how to make this into a thing that is your job. Can you kind of walk me through that process? Because I know you've also, you've developed actually a full class on this too. Let's start with the basics and then you can tell me about your class creation too. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, mine was out of necessity. When I moved to LA, I was 21. Literally, I had managers telling me, you're too fat. I was like fresh out of college rugby. I was just muscular. You're too old. You're too white. You're too this. You're too that. In that moment, I had some wisdom. I'm like, cool, which was everybody gets their adversity. There's no one who didn't have something to overcome to make it at least to the level you're aspiring to. So it's kind of like when I got swallowed up in that stuff, my adversity, whatever it was, I was like lost. Were you trying to like make it go away? Yeah. I was trying to play their, I'm trying to play their game, which their game doesn't exist because by the time you get to it, it's changed. Right now you could argue Hulu and Netflix have zero reason to put the best actor on a show because they already have your subscription. So they're just putting who they think will keep numbers from other subscription bases. That's it. So it's a popularity contest. So you can't really worry about that. And it's a fact. Like the show Reboot that just came out, which is fucking amazing, talks just about that. So I know it's not just me. It's Steve fucking Levitan who's a god and the showbiz saying the same thing. Okay, so to circle back, that's what I was confronted with right away when I moved to L.A. Within six months, too old, too fat, too this, too, you know, jockey, too military. It was just all of it. And I was like, okay, I feel like I'm talented, but I know I can work hard. So I went to an acting school and I became obsessive, dangerously so, like too much probably, but it benefited me in the long run. I was there four and a half years and I tried to take every class. I went to Playhouse West because they're big on community. They're very cheap. It's still the same rate it was today that it was then. Wow. He owns the property. He's a wealthy guy up on Mulholland. He's a great guy. 
It's $200 a month. You know, you get in there and it's not perfect. You know, it's like any school. It can be culty. They don't teach about the business enough, in my opinion. But the basics, and that gave me the community to start filmmaking because I joined a group. And we started making films. I have over 100 short films I've made or sketches, whatever you want to call them. That's amazing. Thank you. Some of them are unairable. <laughs> Some of them are horrific. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Because now on this last set I just wrapped, my superpower as a producer is I can keep the energy like this. Because I know what everybody's worried about. I know it because I've done it. I've been the DP. I was going to say, that's like stuff you can only do from having done every single job. That's right. That's right. You know, I've been here 14 years and it took me about three years to find my community. And that was by chance. And I got really lucky and I'm super grateful. And I'm still friends with five of those people today out of the 15 that started. And I think that's pretty remarkable in of itself. In that gap, it was just like, well, what do I want to do? What do I find funny or sad? And then how do I go about filling it? I think producing is just finding out a list of what needs to be accomplished, then crossing the list off. That's it. Keep it that simple. And you might not know. Then you Google it. Then you ask around. Then you try and fail. And okay, like whatever. Whatever. I'm not precious about my material either. That doesn't mean I don't stand up for myself. That's different. That just means I think I'm going to do a million movies. So why am I getting so hung up on this? Like, for example, my first movie we did, I was 24. Richard Peter Johnson, the original cut was two hours, one minute. Now it's 87 minutes, as it should be. But I remember being like, there's so much good storyline we're cutting. And it was true. But six months later, I couldn't tell you a fucking frame that we cut. And I bet that's the same with everybody. I mean, listen, there. I, it makes me think of auditions, right? And how how often like we want to get like put in these big pauses or like these big moments or like, well, I shouldn't cut this piece out because I had an eye look that was really interesting. And it's like, was it interesting to you or does it serve the story? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've sat in on casting a lot at the high level, at the low level. And there's so much, like, your acting is, like, given. Like, if I called you in, you should fucking rock. It's the other stuff. So I interview people now. What are you like under duress? What's it going to be like to be with you 12 hours a day? Are you late? Are you a good communicator? If you don't text me back and I'm your producer or director, you're fired, pretty much. Because I only roll with great communicators. And I'm not saying you have to be like, huh. But I'm just like, that's what I'm looking for. People don't understand. It takes a long time to build trust in this town. And this is the way. There's my group of actors. I know. I know they're going to show up fucking razor sharp. I know they're going to be on time. I know they're not going to cause the production to lose money by no showing, slowing down, whatever. So that helps too. You know, it's so funny about that too, is that in your first podcast, you said very similar things. You were like, just don't be so precious. Let's move the ship along. Like, let's go. So it's a great mentality to keep it going, right? Because there's sometimes it's just like, all right, like next. <laughs> and. Dude, yeah, like no one's perfect. Like goddamn gangs in New York has a scene where Leo DiCaprio has a bag over his shoulder in one shot. The next shot, it's in his left hand. The next shot, he doesn't have it. Like even at that level, 
the other thing that occurs to me too is like, don't you want to get better? Don't you want to look at your work and be like, yeah, there was more I could do, but I just wasn't there yet. Oh, I tell this to actors all the time. They get so precious about, especially now because we can put self tapes on our casting profiles, you know, because we're so used to watching self tapes. And I'm like, great, film an incredible self-tape. And they'll send me stuff and I'm like, this is great. And they're like, yeah, but now I think I'm already better than this. I'm like, right, so good. You should always think you're better than the last thing you did. Yeah. There's stuff I look back on where I'm like, that was actually really good. But still, I could think I could do it better now. But if I didn't think that, that to me would be the red flag. Yeah, like, you know, think what you want about Brad Pitt. But he said recently, he's like, I'm about to retire from acting because like lately the projects I've been getting, I feel like there's nothing to pull me forward, strive to reach for. I just found that really wise. Like he knows he's like, once I feel like, I think that's why Clooney stepped away. He's like, yeah, it's not a challenge. I hire artists that the project is going to push 10%. I say yes to projects. that's going to scare me and push me. Otherwise I'm like fucking bored. Like what? This is my precious life. And I want to protect this feeling too. Yeah. And enjoy it still. Right. When you, cause we want to do this indefinitely. If you missed it, last week I announced the What to Do When You're Not Working class is officially live on OneBrokeActress.com for you. If this is something you're looking into, stick around to the end of this ad because you have a discount code at your fingertips. I created this class because I truly feel like there needs to be some honest talk about all of the free time that actors tend to have. And by free time, I mean the time between working. We never know if it's gonna be three days, three months, three weeks, three years, whatever it is for you, there is a lot we can accomplish in that time and a lot of self-care and up-leveling we can do for ourselves and our career. And I want us to use this time wisely and think of it as a gift. In the class, we go over making your appropriate schedule for the time you have to give, understanding different paths for different actors, utilizing time blocking for yourself and setting the correct goals for what you need and how to reflect, rinse, and repeat on all of these things while also up-leveling your work as an actor. I am so proud of this class and you guys as podcast listeners have a special discount code. If you use the code PODCAST10 before Black Friday, you will save 10% on the class. The class is evergreen so you can always reference it back. So whenever you hit that quiet time, you can always go back in, get new things out of it. There's tons of worksheets in there, follow along class, and I will always be adding to it as time goes on. And if you buy it now, you will have indefinite access for the rest of eternity. So you can click on the link in the show notes or go to onebrokeactress.com and click the paid stuff tab. It'll be right there for you. That is the what to do when you're not working class. Use code podcast 10 to save 10% before Black Friday. All right, let's get back to the show. So your excitement of putting projects together culminated in you creating a full course on how to make a film. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So my therapist coach actually guided me. She was in the industry, grew up in the industry and she has a lot of A-list clients. And she's just been like, dude, like not many people on earth can do what you can do. And the reason I brought up the A-list clientele is she's like, even at that level, there are months where they have nothing and they're looking for supplemental income. So you might as well build it now. And I was like, oh, okay. And sometimes it's hard to hear because she's like, I know you want to make all your money as an actor or a filmmaker, but even they list you're aspiring to, they have to do this as well, or they like to do it, or they because she's like, it could be boring nine months without work. I talk about this 
all the time. Like consistent acting money is not a thing. So also do other things. I love this. Please continue. Yeah. So the course, what occurred to me is, you know, I sat down with our buddy who's the EP of Sicario before I did stocking fields. And he literally was like, I can't do what you do, bro. He's like, I've never made a movie for under 5 million. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like no slight. Obviously he makes beautiful work. But I was just like, oh, this is a skill set. You know, people can watch all the masterclass they want, you know, and be like Martin Scorsese, like doing what I've done the last two years. I realize how many layers and levels are between the novice and someone like Scorsese. And so what I've tried to do is give an approachable, attainable class that can teach you the basics and the advanced theory from filmmaking from like, Hey, I got an idea to I've sold it. So I cover everything in between. And I also do like where I watch it on Loom. I'll do producer commentary. So I'm breaking down scenes like this is the reality of what's going on behind here. This is how much money we spent. This is who we asked as a favor. So I'm giving people like honest, like, dude, we were broke on my first movie. It was made for 10 grand. Are you shitting me? We're basically on fucking prayers and favors. And so... It is what it is. And I'm uh, super proud of it. Super proud of the effort and all that good stuff. So that's where it came from is like, I want to see people's movies. I don't want to just see the same recurring bullshit at the top. They used to call, and I don't know how PC this is. They used to call the red camera, the soccer mom camera. (laughs) And I always loved that because it told me like, oh, that's like anybody can use it. Any civilian at any time. And so that's kind of how I think about this course is like, This isn't for people in L.A. necessarily, unless they're really after it. This is for people in Kansas, Missouri, Korea, who are like, I don't know. Like, that's how fresh I start. Like, we don't know anything. So let's make a movie from that space. And you can put it down to a short film. You can use the same. It scales up or down. But that's where it all started. I want to help people. I feel like I have a voice and I have an ability to help clearly teach people simply how to do something. How much do you think this would have helped you when you started making your own content if you would have had a simplified course to follow? Oh my God. It would have saved me so much heartbreak because the relationships I may have saved or saved my own lashings at home, there's just so much pressure and time pressure when I was younger to this industry. You know, I was making decisions out of fear rather than like centered love for self. Because I answer like intrinsic questions too, like the intangibles. Like, what does it feel like when the set goes haywire? Like, what do you do? How do you resurrect a set? How do you talk to people? How do you hire them? It would have saved me a lot. It would have saved me some years, honestly, at least internally, which I, of course would have reflected career wise. Yeah, right. Because then it would have felt because for someone like me, I have never made a film. So it feels so daunting. And the idea of putting my work from the written page into the screen, because I've only seen it happen for other people. There is so many steps I don't know, so many jobs I can't even comprehend that I'm like, well, there's no way I could do that. You absolutely could, but I absolutely understand the feeling. Oh, man, like I even have a section in there just called the anomaly mindset, like, we're so looking for our guiding star to be the way we make it. There is no way. 
No one's one way. Like identical twins making in the industry make it in different ways. Like even like look at the Riker brothers, like one works more than the other, maybe, you know, like twins aren't the same. So how can strangers be the same on their path? So I really try and open it up. I mean, there's, I wouldn't say woo woo, but it's like, you know, there is a therapeutic aspect to filmmaking I present in this because it's important. Like you got to keep your sanity and your love. Like Jake Johnson, the actor from New Girl, he's like, there was this feeling as a kid when I watched movies that I thought I would get when I became a filmmaker and an actor. And I've never gotten it. It's hard to get or something like that. And I'm misquoting him, but that's the gist. And that's how I felt until this year. And now I'm like, oh, I'm kind of tapped into that feeling I had as a kid of creation and play and fantasy and wonder and not just like, gotta like fucking headshots and did, you know it's like oh i did all that that's such a good way to put it because i know exactly what you mean because it becomes one of two things it becomes exceptionally technical to where it's just like mechanical engineering and it's like well you have to have this and xyz and then the camera angles and like oh duh, 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 duh. or it becomes so far out of your reach that it feels like well i'm not even like can not even get there because it feels so far away. So I feel like we lose that middle ground of the place we think we're going to be in when we book the job because we think we're going to get to set. It's going to be like, I'm playing all day. Like all the bloopers of all like the movies I watched growing up were so fun. Personally, I loved the bloopers they played at the end of the show, Home Improvement. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Those are my favorite. I'm rewatching that show right now. You are? Yeah. Oh my God, JTT, that was my boy. I would watch that show and I would watch the bloopers and I was like, those people are at work. I know. You can have that much fun at work. And I was like, I'm that's the job. That's I'm so doing that job. And now I'm on set and I'm just thinking like, okay, I have to nail this because like I'm the last shot of the day because they always shoot the co-stars last and da 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 da. And like my mind is like, okay, better get it right. And then I leave and I'm like, oh, I didn't really have that fun moment. Even when I messed up, it wasn't like, oh my God, take it back to one line you know it's like the pressure comes in and so finding that fun again like that sounds really nice yeah and you deserve it that's the other key piece is like we deserve it we're out here busting our butts in this crazy industry that's really backwards it's too icky to like be in that like for me anymore so i'm just like what feels good and it's not always good like you know i've still got tired and there's still moments where i was like fuck on set of course, but I'd rather be tired from that than bartending. And it's like 90% is like fucking sweet sweetness. And then there's 10% that's bullshit. And that's a pretty good ratio. That's a pretty dream ratio. That's pretty cool. So the film I watched that most recently of yours was Helmet. Was that the one, the last one that you shot? That's the one I wrote, directed, produced, and had a small acting part in. So that's an interest. I was hired. I, it's kind of happened a few times now where I got hired out of word of mouth, which is like so cool. I was basically, I was hired to create a teaser for someone's pilot they wrote in order to have a better chance to sell it. Just like fell in love with Bart, the EP, is just really wise, man. He's in his mid-60s in Denver from LA, but in the car industry. And he wrote this pilot and has had it the last 15 years based on his life. And I just was able to be really real with him. And eventually he was just like, you know what? You know what you're doing? Carte blanche, like go forth, my son. And so I just went and instead of taking it to like a three-minute teaser, 
I was able to produce 20 minutes for him, which is like basically the first 20 of the pilot. And then a 90 second sales trailer pilot's going to go to the film festivals and the trailer is going to go to my network while I'm developing the pitch. So that's the story behind that. And I started production on that 10 days after my dad passed. Holy shit. Yeah, it was a blessing to have it as a bit of a distraction. Also, like wildly like weird because I'm playing a Vietnam veteran with massive PTSD. I was going to say. Yeah, like that wasn't written in 10 days. I wrote that in November of last year. And I, I didn't want to cancel the production because there was 30 some jobs on the line. And I don't think he would have wanted me to. That's what that is. And I did the edit as well. I'm really proud of it. That's great. Thank you so much. It's a fun world. And then I did, I just was a lead producer for this movie called Good Bad Things, which is like a coming of age story about this young man finding love for himself who happens to have muscular dystrophy. And so which feels different about this movie is like, you know, and Jordan and I have talked with Jordan wisely because he was born with half of a hand. And, you know, he's like either like we're completely ignoring it or people like hyper focus on it in film. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if there's a film that was just like about this story, but he happened to be instead of the inverse, especially in our day and age. It's like, look how black she is. Look how like trans look how it's like, dude, like I think the ultimate acceptance is like we don't highlight that. They just are. And so that's what this movie is and was. And it was really beautiful. It just happened to be one of those serendipitous projects. His name's Danny. He's an incredible actor. We got a really amazing cast around him. The director, Shane, who wrote it, like dream, just dream, dream, worked with my best friend, got to hire him as another producer. So that's the thing I just wrapped on Tuesday. And I did it from the end of July till Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hell yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. That's a huge feeling. What specifically feels good right now versus what felt good when you wrapped Stocking Fields, which was the movie that we talked about so much in your last interview five years ago? Good question. What feels good is that I'm really proud of what we're seeing on the screen, but I'm even more proud of the space we created for people. People were lingering. Like the last night, people didn't want to go. And that's not my experience after 26 days of shooting, typically. Like stocking fields, people were like fucking dying, sick, just trying to get home. We were like, thank God, you know, like proud, all the good things. But that was the like the sheen over it. And I learned so much. I was like, nah, not doing that experience again. So that's the difference is like we created such a work culture and it wasn't perfect, but it was one that was inviting and people wanted to be a part of it. And everybody who came remarked on it. We had 80 extras in a scene and I was directing them while Shane directed core talent. And I was like, you know, I'm going to set an intention before they show up today that I'm not going to be like, Hey, like I'm your best friend, but I'm going to be like, Hey guys, Hey artists. What's up? What I did is I always like was just, generous with them like okay my lovely people like come to set we're gonna do this this and i like would involve them more in the dance of filmmaking than just like hit your fucking mark action background like i had three guys come up to me and gals after and just be like i've never had an experience like this on set and i've been an extra on a bunch of shows 
even talking to my buddy about bigger movies like he was on the biggest i mean he was on fucking avatar two through four billions of dollars and i'm like how are you treated how is the money he's like yeah i'm like what they have all the resources you'd think and he's like well no all the resources go into like the tech and you know i'm like oh wow so not that he had a bad experience but he was just like oh like this level like it can be generous and what i think people will feel that love on the the frame because what people don't realize is if you did your job right of hiring artists then of course everybody wants the best image on set so you don't have to beat the fuck out of them about it like it's obvious they know they want to nail it everybody wants to nail their job i realized after stocking fields like i don't need to hark on that what i get to focus on is how's my actress feeling what can i get her to be or do if it's not working without shutting her down great how's my second ac doing he seems a little down okay you know because like another lesson on stocking fields is i had a producer who was like yep everything's fucking great at all times and i'm on three hours of sleep and it's fucking great and i'd be like checking in with them to the best of my skill set at the time be like are you good he's like never better we're making dreams come true you know like and i'm like okay cut to two years later he's exploded on me screaming at me at the top of his lungs in the middle of his street and i'm like oh that's what he was holding inside so another lesson is that i want my artists to have a moment or two i want to see them have a frustration i want to see them go fuck it and not be perfect because that's human now, if we have too many of those moments or they start to spill out and the set energy goes, we'll pull aside and talk because I always do my best to critique in private, commend in public. Those are some things that occur to me after that question, yeah. That also makes me want to say to the actors who are listening, like when you do your first few films and they are a little messy or like things don't go always right, just because of that, I would say, oh, but still keep an eye on the people you worked with. Still keep that in your zeitgeist and try how we talked about relinquishing control. Also relinquish judgment. The first projects you do in your career, you want to be like, oh, that director sucked. No, that director was doing his best, you know, in the situation for one of his first projects, probably. In fact, most of those people were. And I I have some stories that I've just been in my head about my first few projects. I'm like, those people, ugh, no, whatever. They were at the same level I was. Just because they were older than me at the time doesn't mean that it should have been the perfect experience, right? So to give someone carte blanche to fuck up and to move on and to potentially still have them in your world is also a lovely lesson here because, I mean, I've thought that about productions before. I'm like, oh, so glad not working with these people again. How do I know? There's so much they might have learned too. Absolutely. Like, you know, imagine I'm on set. My dad just done what he did 10 days before. There's like three people who know. Imagine being an actor is like, hmm. It's like they have no idea, right? And you just actually don't know. Like part of production's job is to keep the actors away from that. Like I remember on this last set, I was pulling someone aside to have a, I don't want to say critique, but kind of like, hey, like maybe we try this. And they were like, well, why don't you talk to other? And I'm like, don't you remember? I do this in private. So you're never going to see that. And she was like, oh. And her perspective like totally shifted there. The other thing I try and do, like I did on Helmet, is I fucked up on intention right away in front of everybody. And then I was like, all good. 
because I set the tone like, let's fuck up. We're making art. Let's have some fun. Challenge me. Collaborate with me. Elevate me. I'm always open to a better idea. And I think improv training really has a lot to do with that too. I bet. It also, it affects you in so many ways in terms of just your energy, but also if you think the world around you is not functioning as it should, it makes you think that you do not deserve a set that functions as you think it should, which brings you down. I love that. Absolutely. If you could tell actors something about making their own work or exploring that side of the camera, what would you want them to know? For me, the biggest piece of advice I generally give on this is you have to kind of, not kind of, I'm even hemming and hawing on it. Once you're all in, time doesn't matter because you're like, I'm here for life. Like, it's all good. If as long as I'm kind of boop, 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 boop forward. So that was an adjustment. And it's as simple as that. Like, theoretically, it's hard to commit sometimes. And I've had my moments, like my dad was a crazy tenured Navy SEAL. So like as a young man, I was like, I should have served. And I'm just so glad I held on to my calling, even though in my 20s, it was often like, you can jump out of this. You're so good at everything. You can do anything in this world. Here are all these options that aren't acting, aren't struggle. So it's kind of like, no, I actually do love this. But that kind of goes further into like loving myself first, because this other stuff will fall into place. And I don't have to worry about it so much because I'm letting go of how I get there. The more technical thing I would give, and I've seen someone as good as James Franco, like he's the one who taught me through this. The lesson is if you're directing, writing, producing, whatever, and you're acting in it, you have to, you must take the amount of time you normally would to prep the acting part as well. Do not just assume you got it because you wrote it. Because I've been struck in the face by the reality that acting is tough when you don't prepare because my ethos of acting and it's as simple as that is getting to ultimate freedom and relaxation for this part that's it everything else is like oh yeah i got all the technique i can do that those are like the fancy icing for me but if i'm not relaxed i might stumble and make the performance but it's not going to be fun it's not going to be fulfilling and it probably wasn't special i love that i love that so most of the guests for season 10, a lot of them are repeats from previous seasons. So we're talking about how far we've come. And I want to play you a little bit of your first podcast. Cool. What would you do if you could pick what you did for a while for like the next couple of years? What would you be doing? Um, I don't like to say forever because this job is so fluid. Yeah, well, I think right now what's going to happen is it's going to be writing movies and being in them. And then after that, I would love to be on a TV show that shoots in L.A., ideally a sitcom Wednesday through Friday, work week, six months a year. God, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, and it's totally doable. Um, I mean, that's that's it. I just, I don't know how to describe it, but I wrote a movie that's going to get made in Canada next May and June. This just happened last week. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I'm, they're going to let me still be a lead in it. But yeah, so that's what I'm saying right now. It looks like it'll be movies, which is totally awesome. So Sean, five years ago, called it. Wow. That's like I'm doing it. <laughs> Isn't that cool to hear? Wow. Wow. That's pretty incredible. I love that. 
Thank you for sharing that. That was important to hear. Absolutely. It's pretty cool when you realize you already know yourself back then too. You just might not have realized it yet. Yeah, it was interesting. My coach, therapist, she was like, when are you going to let yourself feel that you made it? Because by my standard, you made it. You're making movies. You're getting paid. Like you don't have another job right now. Like, what does it have to be? And I was like, but then when I really think about it, like I hear the craziest shit about these A-level productions, like crazy stuff, just the most high school bullshit with like the biggest filmmakers. Cause I'm like starting to touch the sun on some of those people where I'm like, wow, I like really know who's on these sets. And I'm just like, I want zero part of that. Okay. So if I want zero part of that, what does that look like? Oh, it looks like this. I'm well on my way. I'm actually doing it. Okay, cool. Maybe a little bit more money, but that's okay. That'll come. That's my reaction to that for sure. That's a pretty cool place to be. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Sean, if you wanted to direct people to your course, to your work, all that good stuff, where would you like to send them? And we will put all these links in the show notes. The Rebel Filmmaking Community is the name of my course. And I got to send you a link so you can check out the schools. And then Bloomfield Boys Productions is the name of my production company. Between those two, you can get a hold of me and also keep up to date with what I'm doing. And I have a TikTok and a YouTube page for the Rebel Filmmaking community where I give like some advice. And when I'm not making, like if you go there and I haven't posted for three months, it's generally because I'm in production. From what people have seen on those pages specifically, they've already been helped quite a bit. Generally, when I go to a film festival, people start buying my course because they're like, oh, this is good and it's attainable. Like he just told me how to do it. Yeah. And I'm discounting it like 75% for your people. Check the show notes, you guys. (laughs) Go out and email too, but check the show notes. Get your shit. (laughs) I appreciate you. No, I, I feel like I'm here to help more artists fulfill their future and their dreams and also have a voice for men, but obviously that goes hand in hand with men, women, they, I want all peoples to be happy. I just think men or the masculine right now has to work through some of the shit that we've been stuck in the last, you know, few thousand years. So I just want to be an advocate for it where it doesn't come from a place of shame or blame, but real healing. And I think my art is going to help Especially like the PTSD conversation is going to demystify a lot of stuff because there's a lot of hard-nosed dudes out there that have PTSD. And once they start to understand, and it's already happening, like the Navy SEAL community is all doing ayahuasca, like it's happening. So it's like, get on board or fucking die, basically. And I mean that in the metaphysical, like just be left behind, I guess. Doing good stuff, man. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Appreciate you. It's good to see you. You too. 